You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know, I was thinking, what could that be? And then all of a sudden we saw two big figures walk across the front of the shadow of the trailer in the full moon and the... And then this god-awful smell erupted all around us. Hit the spotlight again, got eye shine and a light shadow, but turn the spotlight off and then you can hear it walk fast across the mud. There on the beach, lo and behold, two big Sasquatches. One of them was about seven and a half feet tall, a male. This is the Cryptic Creatures Podcast. I am Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Todd. Man, what's going on? We got a great show coming up tonight, Brian. I know, I'm as excited you know, about this one. We got Thomas Seawood coming on tonight. That's right, yep. He's a very famous Native American gentleman in the uh, Bigfoot world. I guess probably the most famous one, I would say, wouldn't you? I would say so, yeah. Living up yeah. there in the Pacific Looks- Northwest, in the uh, around Vancouver Island in Washington area. Yeah, he splits his time between the two, I guess. I know he's had some encounters. I'm just interested to hear how many and what they were. I know. Yeah, I'm excited. This is going to be good, I think. All right, let's get him on here. Yeah, let's get him. There he is. The man. Great man's magic. The computer. They don't make it easy for us Indians. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going, Thomas? Going good. Thanks for coming on and talking to us today. No problem. Is it, uh, do you want to be Tom or Thomas? Does it matter? Doesn't matter to me. Tom asks if you get mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) You've been on plenty of documentaries and many podcasts. You live in British Columbia and you're a native watchman. Is that correct? No longer a native watchman. I was, that was 1988 till 2014. I was a native watchman and, uh, I haven't been for quite some time. Pass it on to the younger generations. Okay. Uh, all right. Can, can you ex- describe what that was while you were doing that? Well, that's how I got my, I guess you could say my break into Sasquatch. 1989 period, 88, 89, I was a lot younger. I was commercial fishing all over the place, and my chief and family felt that I should get more in track with life. I should have... Uh, wife, a white picket fence, a mortgage, commercial Mm -hmm. fish, collect unemployment when I wasn't fishing and see my wife go to the bingo palace every Friday night while I go down to the bar with the boys and drink beer and tell BS like we do all the time. (laughs) And it wasn't my style. So I just fished whenever I could, wherever I could. And uh, 
in the late 80s, my chief made me a hamatsa. It's sort of like his right-hand man in the Kwakwakiwak culture from our tribal people of northern Vancouver Island. And it's uh, one step under the chieftains. And uh, you're forbidden to basically go against your chief. So being a hamatsa, you know, I knew I couldn't say no to him. And a month later, he told me, you're going into our abandoned native village on Village Island in the mouth of Knights Inlet in the Broughton Archipelago and off northeastern Vancouver Island. And you're going to be our watchman guardian. You're going to clean the village up of boards with rusty nails, broken glass, metal, make trails, outhouses, and record where these people come with the kayaks and their dinghies from their yachts and sailboats. And you're going to address any environmental issues out there and concerns and bring it to the chief and council in the fall. Well, this is in the middle of Timbuk nowhere where I was going. You know, I'd been there clam digging and hunting. Knew my ancestral village with the totem poles on the ground and stories per to my family pertaining to the village and our tribe. So I went there and I started doing what I was told and uh, evolved into this watchman's program where I did a daily narrative to the tourists. I charged them five bucks a head, so I was making a lot of money on top of my paycheck. So it was a pretty good gig and didn't have any trouble with any Sasquatches. You know, one of the totem poles had a grizzly bear and on the paws of the grizzly bear on the totem pole were carved Chonaha, the wild woman of the woods, the female Sasquatch. And then things changed and in the fall when the leaves started to turn colors. That's when I started hearing the noises at night, whooping and screaming. I smelled a few bad things, knew something was in the bush. You know, I knew it wasn't a bear or a deer. And it wasn't until 1991 when we had rocks rolled into our camp. We saw, I saw a Sasquatch, a Chonaha. And, you know, just did like my ancestors taught us and family. Give them respect. Show them respect. Don't wave a gun at them. You know, you don't do that. It's disrespectful. And you never hunt them. So I just talked to it in our language. You know, yo, weeks us. Hello, how are you doing? I don't know who you are. How's it going? And it sort of grumbled and moved off. And in 1991, I went back to the village with my commercial salmon seine boat, about a 57-foot wooden boat with a crew of three others on board with me. And we anchored out in the bay where my 26-foot trailer and my 10 by 10 addition on it were located, where I'd stayed for the summer season, spring, summer, fall seasons, being a watchman. I was still the watchman, but I was also a commercial captain on a fish boat. So we anchored out, pulled some crab traps, cooking some crab just as it got dark and heard something hit the side of the trailer and it was loud right away i you know i didn't speculate i just jumped to a conclusion that it was one of the kerosene cans that were empty that was contracting because of the evening cool but then i thought about it and said you know i took those things out last year they're not there no more and uh you know, I was thinking, what could that be? And then all of a sudden, we saw two big figures walk across the front of the shadow of the trailer in the full moon and uh, no clouds, so it was really bright. And then we heard whistle, chirping, warbling noise, and then this god-awful smell erupted all around us. And right there, I said, Chonach, my crewman, who is a different native tribe, he said, in his language what it was sasquatch because they're big the trailer's got to be what 10 feet high and these things are almost to the top so they're like eight seven eight feet tall i guess 
And I went in the galley and I told my girlfriend to turn the music off and uh, her and my other crewman, Trevor, who'd spent time with me as a watchman in the beginning, came on deck and that's when we heard the whistling, warbling, chirping noise again and that smell. And my girlfriend come close to me and she goes, boy, the beach stinks tonight. <laughs> and Dean, who's her, my crewman, her friend from being kids, goes, Joe, when have you ever smelled the beach smell that bad? Besides that, it's half tide rising. The beach isn't low. It shouldn't be stink. And then Trevor looked at me and his eyes were huge. And he said, what was that, Tom? And I said, our visitor from last few years were out here. Jonah Sasquatch. Well, he flicked his half cigarette that he'd mooched off Jojo because he was out of cigarettes. And he just went through the galley, through the engine room door, downstairs, past the engine, slammed the bulkhead into the forecastle where the cruise quarters is. And that was the last we saw Trevor. He was scared. <laughs> he knew why he parted a Sasquatch. <clears throat> Me and Dean and Jojo made our way to the wheelhouse, the pilot house of the boat, where all my navigation equipment, steering wheel, and switches are. And I was moving the handle of the spotlight, and Dean was looking up. It wasn't on yet. And he said, okay, you're both lined up where they are. We hit the switch, and there on the beach, lo and behold, two big Sasquatches. Eight, you know, One of them was about seven and a half feet tall, a male. He dropped on his knee and pulled his arm up in front of his face like that. And you could see in the reflection of his eyes, one eye, one and a half eye, two eyes, reflecting from the spotlight. But his mate, the female, she just had her back to us on the beach and she dropped into a fetal position on her knees with her head in the sands but she was looking under her right armpit and you could see the reflection of her right eye and uh, they just froze they didn't move just that breathing you could see the movement of his arm a little bit from the eye reflection well over 20 minutes that spotlight was on and uh, you know we're trying everything we're yelling at them, jumping up and down. We pulled the camera out, couldn't find any 35-millimeter film for it, put that away. Still tried yelling at them to get them to move. I wanted to see how big they were, like walking. That wasn't going to happen, and my boat was built in 1927. My batteries, because it's a company boat, I don't know how good they are because it's not my own boat. So I thought, I better start my motor and turn the spotlight off because if I drain my batteries, I can't start my boat. And If they swim out, well, then we're in trouble. So we shut the spotlight off. I start, and that's when you heard them get up. You could hear them moving through the grass and the shrubs, and then you could hear them part the forest wall, a hemlock and uh, Douglas fir and cedar, and they walked the forest. And you could hear the snapping and the popping of twigs, and then all of a sudden, this big dead rotten tree got pushed down and just made a hell of a noise. And then they just disappeared. No more noise. Nothing. Started the motor, charged the batteries about an hour and a half, shut the motor off, and Jojo, my girlfriend, and uh, Trevor were, you know, sleeping. So me and Dean stayed out, and I guess a, quite a few minutes had passed, maybe close to 45 minutes, when we heard a bird called uh, Blue Heron fly from the head of the bay where we were anchored, went by the boat in the dark. Quack, 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 quack. It was all alarmed and knew something spooked it. And then that's when we heard the sound of something walking on boulders on the beach. And because I knew that creek coming out of the timber, it's worn away all the sediment. So it's just big boulders. And that's what it was walking on. Then you heard the unmistakable 
footfalls of something big and uh, soft muds and sands. Hit the spotlight again, got eye shine and a light shadow, but it's quite a distance away. Turn the spotlight off, and then you can hear it walk fast across the muds to the edge of the bay where the rock shore is. And it was going in the bush, and it'd come out and walk a bit and go in the bush. You could just make out the shadow and hear it when it went in the bush, the odd crack. And I know that bay, so I know it was where the impenetrable salal bushes were in the forest. It was coming onto the beach, so it wouldn't make too much noise. Because when you walk through salal bush, it's like carrying a plastic tarp through shrubs. It makes a lot of noise, so it would come on the beach. And when it came a beam of the boat, we got the side stay going up to the rigging. Dean's standing behind that. I'm move myself behind Dean because of that. That thing throws a stick or a boulder. It's going to hit the side stay or Dean or the galley door. I'm hiding behind halfway. And then all of a sudden, Dean pointed at it because he was so, me and him were just like amazed. This thing was huge and it was creeping, like on squatted down and walking. And all of a sudden, Dean goes, what in the bloody hell? And that thing stood up and went, Ugh! And you could see the hairs hanging off his left arm as he went to full height and started these big strides down the rock shore of the beach. And I, Dean's like looking at it. I'm looking at it. I ran through the galley into the pilot house, hit the spotlight switch, swung the spotlight and caught it just as it reached up with its right arm and grabbed an alder tree about five inches in diameter. And you could see the girth of the hand as it pulled itself into the forest kind of slightly turned and looked at us and just turned and walked into the slough in the forest and you'd hear it. It wasn't hiding no more. It was like a D8 cat going through that slough. Crash, crash, all this noise. It stopped and then it made a whistling chirp real deep and then a high-pitched whistling chirp came from further in the forest and then it continued to walk and they disappeared, went into the accessed, I guess, the backside of the abandoned native village over the peninsula where the plum trees were and everything with fresh fruit. And that was my sighting, my first real good sighting of a, two Sasquatches. And, you know, I was just in awe. And when I came out, of course, I told my father, I went and seen him, drove down Vancouver Island. And he goes, well, that's something you should bring this up because this guy by the name of Dr. John Bindernagel stopped by last week asking me about my experience with Sasquatch tracks. Wow. So I talked to him. Here's his phone number. You better give him a call. So I phoned Dr. John Bindernagel and he's all excited. Oh, 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 oh I got an interview. Oh, this is amazing. I got, can you come see me? So I drove half an hour up the highway to Courtney and I went and met eccentric Dr. John Bindernagel and the rest is history. We became my teacher and my dear friend up until his passing. And I learned a lot from him. And here I am, you know, people learning from me now about Sasquatches. Wow, that's an amazing story. Wow. Yeah, that John Bendernagel is one of the very first big names in, in the Bigfoot community, yeah. I guess, if, if you want to classify it that way. Thomas, did you get a good look at any of any of these encounters that you've had? Did you get a good look at these guys? Could you describe the face, what you saw? Oh, heck yeah. In 2006, I uh, had cabins that I still have that are built like miniature big houses, a red cedar with native orca designs on them on Vancouver Island East up north of Sayward. Uh, it used to be my paddle with the kayak expedition camp. And then after I lost my company being sued for $600,000 plus in 2007, I let it go dormant until about 2011 where we 
started to go there just to hang out. And 2006, though, we had uh, two or three Sasquatches, three or four Sasquatches come into that camp and uh, basically let it be known that we weren't welcome, chased us out of there. We had to jump on my $230,000 tour boat and skedaddle at night with my sister who was scared shitless. Oops, sorry. And uh, two of my crew that were, one of them was this freak. He was from Holland. He was my kayak guide. I think he's still running. <laughs> he was so scared. But uh, I got to look behind my cabin as this big boulder came rolling into my camp and trees were being shook. I'm telling my crew, get to the dinghies. And my sister, I didn't have to tell her. She was running on, uh, trying to be Jesus Christ, running on water there. She was so scared. And I was telling her to slow down because all the driftwood floating at high tide. I'm like, you're going to break a leg. Slow down. Let's get in the dinghy. My big, brave, fearless six-year-old bush dog was already in the dinghy shaking away because I chased it. I told him, get. Now you ran up the rock bank where the trees were shaking and looked behind the shaking trees. And he just sprung and did a 180 in the air, landed, and he was his tail between his legs running into the, down the beach to the dinghy. He, he saw something behind those shaking trees that scared the willies out of them. So as I'm getting my crew all to their dinghies and my sister, I look behind the cabin of my cookhouse, and there in the fir cedar trees, standing in the via, two cedar trees, was this huge Sasquatch from, I guess, you know, just lower sternum up. And it just looked at me, and we eye-locked each other, and we're not 60 feet away. And he just – so I backed away and made my move to the dinghy to get out of there. And when we are in the boat, you could hear them screaming, shaking trees. And, you know, I made the call then that we're out of there, and we went and stayed somewhere else. And in 2012, I was building identical cabins for my native tribe on uh, our 250-acre island up in the mouth of Knights Inlet. I was the tourism manager then in 2012. And we had garlic being taken from our outdoor bush camp, apples. Uh, I was seeing the trackways and the tunnels and the blackberry and uh, salalberry bushes around camp. I could see their observation decks were on a northwest prevailing breeze. They were downwind from us looking at our operations where we're sitting at the picnic table in the night where we're working. On a southeast wind, you could see their observation decks downwind and they're looking up in an elevated position into our entire camp and so you know i'm a bushman so i was telling my crew you know you better buckle down here we got sasquatches probing our camp stealing our garlic and apples we've proven that with a cup upside down on top of garlic cloves and uh, lo and behold half an hour later just the cup was uh, upside down and the garlic weren't underneath no more mice don't do that nor would a bear i kicked myself because i should have taken that cup to alert bay to native the community and had the police fingerprint it would have been some big fingerprints on that cup i think oh, yeah. but uh i was out having a smoke one night when it was drizzling and a stick got thrown into camp so i jumped from the front of my cabin that i was staying in and we just built and i did a 180 and looked towards the forest and I come face to face with, I think a sub adult six foot two male, lanky, lean, black haired Sasquatch. And we, I locked and he wasn't 50 feet from me. And I will never forget his face. Cause the first thing that came to my mind was it's the same color as a chimpanzee. Got the Brown background with the black little blotches here and there. And that's why when I look at Todd Standing's uh, third Muppet, where it's all black-faced like shoe polish, 
I, you know, right away called bunk and BS. That's not what their Sasquatches look like with the ones I've seen. And from the native people I've asked across Sasquatch Island, North America, about their look. There's some, they we refer to them as black faces in some tribes, but they're not that shoe polished black. There's always going to be that blotchy, dark brown, light tan with either a little bit of black or a lot of black, but not entirely. So I eye locked him and then, uh, the next night, because I was getting sick and tired of these thieving Sasquatches, and, you know, they're scaring my crew. I can't have a scared crew. Thanks you know, they're, I want to go home, and I'm all by myself right. on the island. Now, I've become the scared crew all by myself, so I don't want that. i got to keep my crew there. So the second night, was, it was just me and Darcy there. He's native, and uh, he was in my cabin with me because he was too scared to sleep in his cabin alone by then. And just before dark, I put my gun out the window and I got my camo on. And I'm like, you just stay in this cabin and don't you go shooting that 30-30 unless I tell you and you see me. And I said, you just stay here. Don't come out of the cabin. And I snuck out the side window instead of the front door. And that's a trick with Sasquatches. They're far superior than we hairless humans. So in order to turn the tables and put the jig on them, you have to outsmart them. And that's why I went out the side window and I snuck through the bushes behind my cabin towards the head of the entrance to the trail to our outhouse in the interior of the island. But we'd been raking leaves and dropping trees and we had these big berm piles of branches and I had a couple of alder leaves. And we're waiting for the monsoons in the Pacific Northwest of late October, early November to light it up. We don't want a forest fire. And we're cleaning this camp to open it up for tourism the following year. But as I'm scurrying on my belly through the bush, being quiet, I get to that big pile of alder leaves and I crawled in feet first. And I just had my hat with a little sliver of where I could see and leaves on top of me and my 12 gauge or on my chest in the leaves. And I wasn't there 20 minutes when through the alder trees skirting the salmonberry branches behind our camp is that lanky teenager Sasquatch walking towards my camp. And he's just eyeballing my camp walking. And when he gets to the old skitter track has like a five foot dirt berm on either side. And I'm in it with the pile of leaves. He grabs an alder tree above, I guess maybe four inches in diameter. It wasn't that big. It was Sandy with his left hand and he steps down that five foot berm with his right leg. And he's just eyeball in the back of my cabin. Got to see his face again. Like I say, you know, it's a lot darker that time, but you know, unmistakably it was a Sasquatch from the night before ran back to the cabin. I'm not going to lie about that. You know, I was hair was standing on Ed. And when I got in the cabin, there's Darcy with 30, 30 shaking. I'm like, put that damn thing down. There's nothing to worry about that night. No problem. And it was a couple of days later when uh, my non-Indian uh, carpenter came in to finish the cabins. He'd been on hiatus holidays for a couple of weeks. And he brought and we brought in uh, another native crewman. Well, in the afternoon while we're all working, there was a big karat on the other side of the cabin my carpenter's working on. And, and this is where people listening got to learn. Don't just look at the bush. Squat down and look under the brush. And that's where I can see the foot of the Sasquatch lifting up as it's walking away. And it's huge feet. And I'm looking under the salmon berries and other scrub brush. And I stand up and I'm like, wow, that was a big Sasquatch. And 
a non-native carpenter, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And, you know, he didn't believe me. And, uh, you know, I'm being a crewer walking around and, uh, you know, I've told Darcy, I said, you make sure at 30-30 goes with you and John if you go to the outhouse. I said, you know, these things are getting a little bit too pushy on us. I said, we don't aim it at them, but just in case, you know, protection is protection. And I'm packing around my 12-gauge pump with uh, camo design on it. And, you know, I'm getting the message across. Hey, look, I'm done with you, hairy buggers. You know, you quit farting around here. It's my turf. I'm not leaving. And then that afternoon, um, I walked up to the carpenter, and I was just looking, you know, I'm doing my job. I'm a guardian watchman by trade and bushman. So I'm keeping six, and I look into the forest wall, but it's a hill inside the trees, and the alder leaves have fallen now because this is like middle of October. So I can see a way distance, and there's a huge giant cedar stump from when they logged the island in 1927, I think it was, or 37. But anyway, I can see the forest floor and everything, this big old, big cedar stump, and it looks odd. So I'm like eyeballing it and looking, and I go, hey, Darcy, get me the scope for the rifle. It's in a cardboard box. So he brings it over. We're using it as a squatting scope and a spare scope if I needed it. He hands it to me, and I'm like, slap it away. I'm like, take it out of the cardboard and crank it the nine power. So he gives it to me, and I look at that stump, and I'm looking, and right away I can see it. This big chimpanzee, really dark with a little bit of lighter brown patches, and it's mostly covered in alder leaves. And all of a sudden it looks at me and stands up to its full close to eight-foot girth and just turns and just boom, 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 up the hill and disappears in the forest. Well, my uh, non-native carpenter, he was like, this is like working in Mogadishu or Iraq. I've had enough. I quit. Starts packing his gear down the beach. And I'm like, Darcy, get the speedboat. He's quitting. We'll we'll get him out of here. And the funny part was when we brought him in a couple months before, he came in with this aluminum tool cab case that me and Darcy had took our everything to carry the thing down the dock into the boat out of the boat up the beach well here's this big carpenter he picks it up all by himself and he just walks it down to the speedboat and throws her in he's so scared and after he's loaded i'm out of here get me out of here so i ran him to telegraph cove dropped him off and then came back to the island and uh, after that it was peace no more activity. My garlic didn't get stolen. My apples were left alone. And what it was was a pissing match. Who's the top dog here? And I proved it to those to that Sasquatch uh, couple that I'm the top dog. And what it was was I think it was a big male Sasquatch teaching his teenage son. If there's one Indian you're going to sneak up to and get away with it, no one. And if you do that, you're going to prove to yourself and me that you're good at stealth. It's going to be that Indian there. We know him, we know his smell, we've watched him for decades be out here. So your training is to get his garlic, get his apples, you know, probe his camp, and that's what I think was happening. But when I turned the table by jumping at the young one, popping out of the leaves the next night, and a couple of nights later putting the jig on Daddy, I think Daddy made a decision and said, ah, we screwed up. Let's go find another human to go learn some training on. And that's, you know, my reflections on what took place. But to answer your question, have I seen how what they look like up close? Oh, yeah. I know what they look like. Their teeth look like chiclets. They have a pronounced philtrum. 
the distance between the bottom upper lip and the bottom of the nose is very pronounced. That's where Todd Standing failed. He's never seen a real Sasquatch. Otherwise, his Muppets would all had pronounced philtrums. His Muppets don't have pronounced philtrums. What the second Muppet actually looks like, he took the tail and ass hairs of his dog and cut him off and glued him to his face because they've done that overlay with that Muppet. So, you know, you got to watch it. Like Dr. John Bindernagel taught me, when in doubt, throw it out. So we all need to throw Todd Standing out until he actually gets real coverage. But he's in Nia Bay right now in Washington State pushing his BS over there and working with the Indians, so he says. But we'll see. I know what you're talking about, the the Todd Standing um, Bigfoot facial things. Oh, I don't, yeah. I don't believe them. We've those. all seen them, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I don't believe those either. I'm not, I'm not a fan. Uh, I understand how you feel there. Um, I was wanting to talk about Vancouver Island for a little bit. What is it, it? I guess Brian and I have already talked about this. If we could pick anywhere to go squatching, we would choose Vancouver Sad Island. Squatching. Don't say squatch. I'm don't sorry. Sasquatching. <laughs> uh, Bigfooting, uh, whatever you want to call it there. We would want to come to Vancouver Island because we know there's absolutely the population. <clears throat> we got it on like Donkey Kong there, man. We what? got that dead woman from a Sasquatch five years ago, got her head ripped off in her left arm side of the highway. They closed the rest stop. It's all got cement barricades, the cement picnic tables times two, the cement outhouses time two, the cement garbage can times one, all been removed. Big cement four foot by four foot by six-foot cement blocks blocking you from entering the paved rest stop now. This is between Campbell River and Sayward. And, you know, everyone's just sort of, you know, we're so oblivious now to what's going on around us. We accept everything that Big Brother does to us and shoves down our throat. No one questions anything. So we were actually doing an investigation with Stephen Major, and we found out that uh, through uh, interrogating people, (laughs) that a waitress said that a woman got killed there. And the police told her family, please keep it hush, hush. We're looking for a serial killer on Vancouver Island, but we don't believe a human, wolf pack, deer, or bears, or cougar killed your sister. We think it was a Sasquatch because this is what happened. Her clothes were intact. Her body was pummeled, missing two pieces of it, and uh, no sexual abuse. So, you know, we got that. We got a 16-year-old missing kid in Campbell River. We hear chatter that that was possibly an abduction by a Sasquatch. We got a rogue Sasquatch on Vancouver Island that an Indian from the West Coast shot with a deer rifle about eight years ago. And it's one-eyed, showing up all over central Vancouver Island, east and west, raising all kinds of cane. And he's got an attitude. He's gone rogue. So, and then when you look, that's where I, as a Sasquatch investor, I'm not, you know, tooting my horn, but I'm not being an egomaniac fathead, you know, but... uh, I've been an Indian for 57 years. I've been to potlatches. I've heard the stories from the native tribes as a commercial fishing, traveling the coast. I've been to isolated communities that most people will never see in their life, like Hartley Bay, Clem 2, where Les Stroud went, uh, Port Eliza, and the list goes on. And I lived in Bush for almost 25 years. So I have something that most investigators, actually all of them don't have, that type of background. (laughs) So... Being uh, involved with uh, Federal Department of Fisheries and Oceans with my father, because that was his career, and being, you know, doing watchman work and uh, salmon enhancement and enumeration projects out in the middle of Timbuk Nowhere in the cabbage along salmon streams, 
I've had decades of experience. And then because I'm taught me 10,000 questions all my life, reading things and learning stuff. When you look at a grizzly bear requiring 9,600 calories per day and 300 square miles of turf, you know, that's, you know, 300 square miles, you know, might seem like a lot, but it's actually not. It's one salmon drainage. It's one river or stream with salmon. It's one tributary off a major river with salmon spawning it, skunk cabbage and berry patches and grasses, and tubers and other proteins for a grizzly bear. But when you look at the size of a grizzly bear and you correlate it to the size of a Sasquatch, we can only speculate at this time, but a Sasquatch must need anywhere from six to 10,000 calories per day. And then when you look at the reports of Sasquatches on Vancouver Island, it's seeming like we have Sasquatches in every salmon spawning area during the summer fall period. And then when you look at the sightings in the herring spawn in March and shallow water on the salt water and the beaches where the shellfish are during winter, it's the same Sasquatches within that drainage system, within reason. It's, it correlates to the Kwakwakiwak and the Lehuata, my two tribes, traditional territories that we still adhere to this day from geological prominent points, river systems, bays, pictographs or petroglyphs. We know our tribal territories between Mamliacha, Klawetsis, Mamtegila, Kwekosudnuk, Namgis, Wallace, Kwagyot, who are all part of the Kwakwakiwak Nation, but we have our own tribal territories, which have one or more salmon water systems, water uh, drainages. So when you use all of that and correlate it to the probability of Sasquatch is having clans based upon drainages where salmon are and river systems and estuaries. And then you look at the reports and you say, okay, let's just say there's an average two Sasquatches for every salmon drainage on Vancouver Island. Well, then now we have 176 known salmon spawning systems. Now you multiply that by two gives you a rough baseline on a population density of Sasquatches on Vancouver Island, a.k.a. Ape Island. And then when you look and you say, well, it's only 350 miles long and this wide, and there's the major city of Victoria, Nanaimo, Duncan, Campbell River, Port Alberni, well, there should be more sightings. Well, most people don't go out in 50 per 60% of Vancouver Island that is deep cabbage in the middle of Timbuk nowhere with no cell range and VHF handhelds don't work and there's no one out there no more because the Indian villages, they all live in the towns and communities uh, except for one or uh, about four or five. <clears throat> and then your logging camps that used to be all over the place, well, now it's all automated and corporate where they just go out by water taxis or float planes to small camps. If there is even a camp, they're mostly day workers now. So there's no one out there in Vancouver Island for, and then when you equate five and a half months of good weather during spring, summer, and early fall. And then after that, it's, you know, sideways fat stinging rain with southeast storms. There's no one out there except the odd clam digger and fish farmer. And then when you go and interview them like I do, you find out that the majority of them, 80% plus, are hearing, seeing, or coming across the sign of Sasquatch in their area where there's shellfish. So Sasquatches, you know, if you want to look for them, 
you know, I brought Stephen Major there. We recorded 16 minutes, 40 seconds of a big Sasquatch in Florida, about 150 yards on the beach and half tide rising. It was harvesting limpets or otherwise known as China hats. It wasn't accessing at low tide the shellfish because we were on the beach at low tide three hours prior. And then when you talk to the people like I do that are First Nation Indian, they don't hug Indian up because I'm a non-native guy. They, you know, oh, you're Sasquatch Island, wearing your hat and your shirts and everything. So they open up to me. They heard me on the internet. That So they're like, oh, yeah, yesterday I was elder guy said last month that I walked out of my porch, looked up behind the school where the kids were playing, and up on the bluff was a big Sasquatch looking down at the kids in Cayucat, a native village you can only access by boat or float plane. And then it just walked into the bush and disappeared. So we Indians and the locals, we accept, yeah, we share the environment with the big, the other tribe, the Sasquatches. And me, I'm a firm believer because I'm the first, one of the first humans to ever do commercial boat grizzly bear tours and orca whale watching tours and sea kayak expeditions in British Columbia. And they're multi-million dollar industries now in the world in British Columbia. You know, I'm doing Sasquatch expeditions. I just finished one with a young boy and his mother from Ontario here in Washington State. And I have another one. June 7th, I meet a guy at the Vancouver airport. He's rented an SUV. We're going to do a week on Vancouver Island looking for Sasquatch. We'll hopefully find them. But I firmly believe once there's conclusive proof of the existence of Sasquatch, you're going to have a year round, mainly in the winter, because that's when Sasquatches come to the beaches for shellfish at low tide at night and day. You're going to have a major ecotourism industry of Sasquatch expeditions. And I'm going to be one of the, well, I'm going to be the forefounder for British Columbia pioneer but you know i'm also going to be very busy and what's it going to do it's going to educate everyone that's the indian word for really educating someone <laughs> that we're the dumbest critter on this planet we will defecate and mix our defecation with soils or water and grow our food in there crustacean shrimp uh, tilapia catfish uh, vegetables and we'll fornicate just for the fact of enjoyment and fornication and will overpopulate a world in what are close to 9 billion now. And people are starving in the hundreds of millions. You know, we're the dumbest animal on this planet. Maybe when we do have conclusive proof of the existence of Sasquatch, Yowie, Yeti, Almas, and so forth, then maybe we'll dummy up as a hairless bipedal creature on this planet and say, you know what, we've got to quit clear cutting, fracking, urban sprawling, destroying this planet that we share with the other tribe because they've been living in existence because I think they're feral human without weapons, without fire, without clothing, which means they don't have any greed or envy or warfare or hate. And they're tied into their environment as hunter gatherers. So they're too busy trying to fill that belly with 9,000 calories per day or less to be worried about advancing their culture, their governance, their religion. They live on that sort of a plane of balance with nature. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And we stupid humans are destroying all that. And that's why I believe in Sasquatch Lives Matter. It's one of my designs for T-shirts with Sasquatch, uh, thelegend.com, as well as this one here with the two salmon. Yeah, I like that one. I'm trying to get the message out that we really need to dummy up we need to listen to what the Sasquatch has to tell us by its way it lives 
and by its actions that they're on the right path. We are the inferior bipedal creature of this planet. Oh, yeah. Well, you look at orcas, you know, such a beautiful animal. They don't have fire, clothing, or tools, and yet we're so drawn in awe with them. And, you know, I've been with them a lifetime, and, you know, every time I see them, it's beautiful. And then other animals are like that as well, to a certain extent, except for the carnivores, like uh, your wolves and wild dogs, jackals and hyenas, where they tear each other apart for leadership, dominance. But then you look at the monkeys, the missing link, I guess you could say, where, you know, we know they have tool use. We know they have a base language established. Yet chimpanzees are war, troop to troop, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, I don't think that's right. You know, and I, you know, we have the odd report of Sasquatches fighting one another. But, you know, we have a few vocalizations of mass gatherings of Sasquatches. And I think those are sort of like a bunch of drunk fishermen in a bar in Prince Rupert. They're yelling away at each other. I'm tougher than you. I'm better in pool. I can drink more beer. But they're not fighting and clashing, you know. And, you know, it's something I find very intriguing about Sasquatch. You talked about conclusive proof. Do you think that's going to happen one day? Well, that's what we're trying. I bought a P1000 Nikon camera with a built-in 120 zoom. All Arabic to me. I don't know what that all means, other than I know that I can push that button. And if you're 50 yards from me, I can zoom in and see what you ate last and the plaque in your teeth. You know, and that's where I think it's going to come in. You know, it's uh, we always can get into that debate. Or we need a body. We need right. bones. Well, number one, we're not going to find bones. Sasquatches bury their dead in catacombs and caves and tunnels that they collapse. That comes from the native oral histories that I've been interviewing people with for a lifetime, and I'll even get even more oral evidence of that. So we're not going to find their bones. And as far as shooting one, no, don't shoot one. We don't need to. All we need to do is everyone focus on spending $1,200 U.S. and get a P-1000 Nikon should be wearing a Nikon decal and getting some scrogs from them. <laughs> but anyway, that's the camera. Built-in lens, easy to use, waterproof case, th- bring it up. I zoomed in on an eagle, and I could see the color patterns in his eyeball on top of a tree, probably about that far away from where I'm sitting. It wasn't that tree. It was a different one. But it blew me away that I could see the eyes of an eagle. I'd never seen that before unless I was up close to them. But now I know that I can, if I can turn a table on Sasquatch again and get close and with the video rolling, zooming in as it's eating and seeing the muscles move on its face, seeing it move its neck, seeing it move its hand, see the finger lines in the creases on its hand, zoom in on his feet, possibly get the epidermal ridges. You don't know. You know, it's all about trying to get close to them. And that's what my team of Sasquatch Island in Omaha Indian Reservation uh, Minnesota with uh, my uh, good friend Andre, who's my chapter president from there, me and uh, Vancouver Island, British Columbia, and other members of my Sasquatch Island, the Carrie Kilmurray with the map she's doing that you'll see on Sasquatch Island, my Facebook group. You know, we're working hard that hopefully, and we got it pretty close in Omaha Indian Reserve to getting that Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey interaction possibly happening with Lucas White. On Vancouver Island, we have my kayak camp, ex-kayak camp, now my Sasquatch investigation camp, and the log landing there, where we're having them throwing pebbles at us. I captured a blurry blob squatch on a trail camera that knocked off a stump, 
and spun around. You can see the trees spinning in the last frame. He's looking into the trail camera, and I got my smile for the birdie. I got a Sasquatch with his right arm reaching in. It's all blurry. You know, let's take it for what it is. But, uh, you know, we're getting closer every month, and that's what it's all about. And hopefully we're going to have that day where last summer, Carrie at the log landing saw a hairy arm reach out, grab a branch, pull back in, reach out again, and shake a tree. You know, if I can get that with that camera or other cameras we have, and if we get some muscle movement and some texture to the skin, you know, I think that's enough for the poorly developed hairless frontal lobe of the hairless human walking around, the majority of them, except for the Karens and whiners that are out there that we call trolls on social media. I think the majority are going to go, that's good enough for me. They exist. Okay, maybe we better work with this governing body and look at this area where we have a lot of reports that maybe we might make it into a special conservancy area so we don't log it, frack it, destroy it. And when we do allow campers in there, maybe it should be on a permanent basis with the indigenous Indian guides and other guides that are knowledgeable on ecology and biology and primatology to go in there to escort the people that want to go in and see a Sasquatch and hopefully hear one. You know, we do it for grizzly bears in the McNeil River in Alaska. You want to go up there and get dandy videos and pictures of those bears feeding on sockeye salmon, then you got to go with a guide and you got to pay dearly for it because it's a, it's a conservancy, a protected area for the grizzly bears' well-being. We've already done it. You know, we have bird sanctuaries where you can't go to. We have others that you can go with a well-informed guide. Why can't we do the same thing for Sasquatch? And I see that's where the evolution of the Sasquatch tourism industry will evolve, because in British Columbia, us Indians, oh, we're powerhouse. We're more Canadian than Canadian. You don't do anything without our permission and authority and sign-off. And uh, don't forget, we want a profit yes. share. Of and, course. you know, that's just business, you know. And yeah. days have changed in British Columbia. I can't say the rest. Uh, uh, Washington State and American Indians, they got their casinos. Man, they, they, take, they took control. Washington yeah, State yeah. has a bolt decision for them and the fish. So, you know, the Indians are strong, and it's up to the Indians to step forward to say, no, in this state or this territory, there's going to be absolutely no investigations or tourism development of the Sasquatches. Another tribe, they have their own governance. They're going to say, oh, yeah, come on in. Stay at our Spirit Bear Lodge where we take you in already to see the white Cremody black bear in Clem 2 where Les Stroud went. But we're also going to do Sasquatch tours during what they call an off-season for bears, which is late fall, winter, and early spring. And we're going to be a 12-month-a-year business in an isolated community called Clem 2, where our tribe members that work in the spirit bear industry are now going to be employed for 12 months of the year instead of five and having to collect welfare or unemployment insurance for the rest of the year to make, try to make ends meet trying to feed their family and pay bills. You know, that's life. You've got to improvise and adapt. And the adapt adaptation says, thou shall make a lot of money so I can own an F-300 pickup truck by Ford. You know, that's just <laughs> the way things are. <laughs> I hear yeah. you. Well, if anyone can uh, get a good picture, video, or, or photograph of a Bigfoot, I think it's you, Thomas, with your background and your history Absolutely. and all your knowledge and your experiences and encounters in your lifetime, I think you'd be the one to, to definitely do it. Do you think that there's a lot of uh, sightings on Vancouver Island that just don't get reported because people just see them more often there? 
Oh, everywhere. Uh, here in I'm in Washington State at my southern home right now, but Washington State, all the tribes. And I was talking to one tribe member three days ago there in Puget Sound, and he said, no, even though he has a Sasquatch as his logo for his fireworks stand here in July 4th area, uh, it makes a lot of money, he said, too. But he said, no, can't exploit Sasquatch. We just leave him alone. Here he's got a big Sasquatch painted right. on the side of his fireworks. Mm -hmm. I thought that. There's a little irony there. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, it's up to every tribe. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's going to be a challenge, but it's up to each tribe to figure out what they want to do. Man, I've been to places where, like, Omaha Indian Reserve, you know, we watched the pregnant female and a big male walking across a field at 100 yards in a flur. The dumb Indians, we didn't push the record button. We were so in awe of what we saw. And Lucas, I sent him a flur and uh cell phone because he's a poor Omaha Indian with uh, many kids. Me and Peggy mailed him all the equipment and after, and uh, he phoned back a week later after we hooked him up to the Google Cloud or whatever that is, uh, Amazon Cloud, and he apologized. Gee, I'm sorry it took me so long to get video of a Sasquatch, a Sitonga. It took him a week and there it is, uh, blurry 250 yards away walking along the edge of a cornfield freshly planted in the bush. Uh, about a six foot Sasquatch. So, you know, he's coming up and he's, but he's trying to get that Jane Goodall interaction. But, you know, his reserve there, yeah. I've seen dash can video from their tribal police in the police station of Sasquatches run across the road there times three. But they all have that UG Indian zip. No, we don't want it. We don't want people here trying to shoot them. And that's a problem. We got these poorly developed yeah, frontal lobe humans out there in camo chewing on tobacco that want to carry a gun and shoot the Sasquatch. And that's what we indigenous Indians are afraid of. We don't want to see them hunted. Right. Yeah, we don't either. Are you still doing the uh, Aboriginal Adventures Canada TV show? Or tell us a little bit about that. No, I'm actually getting more acclaim because it's on the FNX network, Aboriginal Adventures, it's called. I did it for three seasons. Um, we're chattering about possibly contracting up and doing it again. Right now, I'm doing Sasquatch Island, the other tribe video production. Um, uh, life has just gotten so busy. Me and my wife haven't been able to do the final edit to get that out. Um, we put a few shorts up, and I do a lot of shorts with cell phone to educate people on Sasquatch. And best thing is go to YouTube, uh, join Sasquatch Island. Slap the subscribe button like a rogue Sasquatch slaps a disrespectful <laughs> investigator upside the head. I hear you. So that you'll be notified when I put another video up. I'll be putting one up today of me going to Cliff Barrickman's uh, Northwest Bigfoot Museum yesterday. I went cool. to see it. Cool. Wow. It is cool. cool. But I'm only going to show you one picture because I don't. I want you to go there to see it. It is okay. so well worth it. We'll check it out. But yeah, Sasquatch Island on YouTube. Um, Get a hold of me, email me. I put my email through multiple posts in Sasquatch Island Facebook group. Email me and I'll send you a links page on email. And that way you can click and go to Am to Netflix and Amazon Prime and watch the movie Bigfoot Girl that I star in. It's educational on my level. The movie's pretty much not worth watching. Just fast forward to when you see me. I, yeah, I and then there's numerous point. documentaries I've been on since 1991 was the first one I did on Sasquatch. And it's funny when you see that one. I'm skinnier. I got hair <laughs> and black. <laughs> That's probably where I first saw mm -hmm. you. Do, you. do you remember the name of that documentary you were on? 
Oh, I can't. I've done so many. Yeah. And then all the podcasts, Google Tom Seawood, Thomas Seawood, Sasquatch Island. And you'll come up with everything from my podcast series that I know a little bit about Sasquatches and other podcasts and probably well over a hundred now. So if anybody wants to get one wow. of those shirts, how do they get a, a Sasquatch Island shirt? Sasquatchlegend.com. Eight of my designs they sell. It's even got a page. You go to the artist page, featured artist. And you'll see my page, and you go there, and I got I even got coasters for your drinks. Go okay. figure, eh? You got Patty three fifty two native design on that one. Nice canvas prints, t shirts. We have a festival this Saturday and Sunday in Forks, Washington, the first ever branded Sasquatch the Legend dot com festival, and with a heavy North American Indian cultural component pertaining to Sasquatch. We're planning to shop out the videos and. Uh, pictures and a proposal to the 220 plus indian casinos throughout the united states and throughout canada so that they can bring us in to host the sasquatchlegend.com festival with a heavy north american indian cultural component you know everyone's getting you know conferences are great but you know you gotta admit you know they're getting dry as a popcorn fart you know same old people same old stories you know there's only so many times you can hear my good friend, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, tell the same stand-up report. So, you know, he's a good friend. But, you know, like I say, you got to kick it up. got to diversify or die. And, you know, the standard format for a Sasquatch conference is starting to get a bit long in the tooth and dry. Now we got to get the Indians involved and get the dancers, get the art, get the drummers and singers, get oh, yeah. the Indian guides that can come out like me and tell you stories that you're not going to read in the book or see on the internet because we lived it experienced it and we're there to tell you what happened when we had our sasquatch encounter thomas what's your definition of bigfoot feral human humans thousands of years ago the chief looked at his wife who was nagging and bitching and said you're absolutely right dear this is bs we got potlatching we got advanced religion we got in-depth of governance we got people vying for chieftainship we got backstabbing hate we have crime where people are murdering one another we're warfaring with other tribes we got stone tools and implements we got fire we got weapons we got ladles to throw spears this modern world is bs so i think me and you're going to talk to the family and they did the next night around their fire and they said living in this big house this teepee this tule hut this pit house this longhouse it's not the way. The creator, Ekekekame, said that we need to live more close to our environment and in tune with our environment. So me and your mom are going into the forest to move away from the tribe and live off the land and the bush and the sea and the lakes and rivers. Who's coming? I'm going to go with you. My wife and I agree. We're going with you. And those family units broke away from the modernized, we call ancient ways, walked into the forest, lost their clothes, came up with strict laws that they don't have fire or weapons of stone or tools of stone or metal. And pretty soon the nature's code of God took over and they evolved to be bigger and hairier, more robust. Now they're in competing with the Indians for food and they're getting spears thrown at them, arrows shot at them, fire pushed at them in mass, attacking them and killing them. So once again, they evolved to be the humans of the night. They became Sasquatches, and they got the nocturnal vision. And to me, being up close to Sasquatch almost a dozen times and listening to the indigenous stories, how we call them the other tribe, how my 
tribe and others refer to them as cannibals. The grizzly bear eats a human. It's a carnivore man-eater. It's not a carnivore. If a Sasquatch eats a human, it's a carnivore. It, or a, a, what do you call it? A cannibal. It means they're human. The Indians have known this since the dawn of creation and when the Sasquatches shared the land with us. So that's what Sasquatches are. Feral, hairy, bigger, nocturnal humans of the night. Sounds as good as anything I've heard. Yeah, no kidding. I like that explanation. <laughs> Do you think they still understand your language, your native language? Yo, Hello, how are you doing? I don't know who you are, Sasquatch. And it walks off, leaves you alone. My uncle, the late Adam Dick, who was a chief, who the owl called by name was written about. He was the main character. He taught me to speak Kwakwala to them. They know. The Omaha has told me. Aho, Sitonga, in their language, how are you doing? I don't know who you are, Sasquatch. And most Indian tribes are just like that, and they will all say the same thing, to speak our language to them. They live in the same area as us. So the mimics of speaking English, oh, yeah, they're the watcher. They watch us. You know, they're watching us when we turn our lights off downstairs and go up to the bedroom when the bathroom light turns off and the TV in the bedroom turns off. They know we're going to sleep. They come to our walls and they listen. They hear us snoring and farting in our sleep. They know we're REM sleeping. Now it's time to go into our greenhouse, our compost, our gardens, our orchards, our stables for the grains and other things we feed our animals. So they're the humans of the night. They're very intelligent. Don't ever think that you're in f superior to a Sasquatch. They are far superior than we will ever be in our lifetimes wow. at present. Thomas, we appreciate you coming on uh, and talking to us yes. today. It's been an honor. A lot. Thank you very much. You oh, had yourself yeah. a good good night. Yes, thank, thank you. you very much. All right. Thank Thank you. Go in peace. Thank you, sir. Thank you, you too. You're listening to the Cryptid Creatures Podcast with Todd and Brian. If you've had an encounter and want to be on the show, email us at info at cryptidcreatures.co or leave a message at 888-5-DOGMAN. He definitely knows his stuff and has a lot of information about the, the Bigfoot community in, in the Native American world. And uh, I really liked his explanation of what he would define them as. That was that was one of the cooler ones I've heard. Yeah, could be right. You know, could be more yeah, right than, he, than Could be absolutely right. Like listening to him uh, talking about his stories and whatnot and his encounters. And could talk to the guy all day, honestly, if we wanted to. Maybe we can uh, talk yeah. him into coming back on down the road and telling some more interesting Yeah, I'm things. sure. I'm sure we could have stretched this out for a while. But I think what we got was pretty amazing. His stories were pretty cool. Yeah, they are. They are. And we definitely want to check out his stuff on YouTube and, and whatnot. Oh, and for sure. I like for his sure. shirts. I'm definitely going to order that. I'm, yeah, I'm ordering one of those shirts. Look, that Native American kind of look to the Bigfoot. Yep. It's kind of cool. So, yep. All right, man. Another good episode in the books. I appreciate it. You hanging out with me and talking to these yeah, guys. Yeah, man. Always fun. Always learning new stuff. It's we'll exciting. Keep, we'll keep rolling on that as well. So, Damn right. Until next time. See ya. Yeah.